hymns that we sing or the songs that we sing are actually hymns that were written a long time ago. Uh, the first hymn that we sang was one written by Isaac Watts. Uh, and then Come Boldly to the Throne of Grace was uh, written a long time ago by a man named William Gadsby. Uh, and those tunes or those songs have been put to, to new music because we believe that there's some rich, uh, some rich history there, some rich theology that's good for the church to sing. So hopefully that's not off-putting to you. Hopefully you were able to worship and enjoy even as, uh, even as you thought about those songs. Uh, if you would, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's uh, the first of the four Gospels. We actually uh, spent the season of Advent, the, the month of December, in the book of Matthew. Uh, and so for our next sermon series, we're just going to walk through the Gospel of Matthew. So we're actually already, we got a little bit of a head start. Um, while you're turning there, I'll just kind of explain to you what my uh, my normal pattern is as far as sermons go. I like for us to spend some time in the Old Testament and then some time in the New Testament, and then every so often to come back around to a gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of Jesus' life. And while they are in the New Testament, uh, I like to give some special focus to the gospels every so often because Jesus is really what the Bible is all about. Uh, Jesus is really what Christianity is all about. And so um, while the whole of the Bible speaks to Jesus, right, the books in the Old Testament point forward to him, the books in the New Testament point backward to him, um, every book in the Bible whispers Jesus's name, but it's good for us as a church to uh, spend some time every so often looking at the life uh, and ministry of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do for the next little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 is where we'll be today. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, in Advent. What we saw was uh, Matthew, Matthew focusing on the, the birth of Jesus. And what Matthew wanted us to know about the birth of Jesus is that uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then on Christmas Day, uh, if you weren't here, that's okay. Uh, we only docked you a few bonus points for that. Uh, on Christmas Day, we looked at John the Baptist and his ministry and preparing for Jesus. And so where we're going to pick up right now is the moment when Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. So Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 17. I believe it's page 808. Flip to the next slide for me. Yes, there we go. Not that one. Boom, that one. Page 808, if you, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the, the rack in front of you. Grab that out, and you'll find this passage on page 808. And you may ask, why don't we just put the Scripture passage up on the screen? And here's the reason. I want you to open a Bible and keep it open and have it in front of you, because I'm going to be referring to the passage repeatedly as we go through this. And so I want you to keep a Bible open in front of you so that you can make use of it. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Let's give our attention to God's word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Our gracious God and King, would you teach us now? Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would come with power to our hearts. And that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, kind of the things, if you weren't here with us through the month of December, that's okay. Um, We began uh, at the beginning of Matthew. uh, And what Matthew is at pains to point out is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. All that the prophets had spoken about this Messiah who was to come, Matthew wants us to know that that person is Jesus. He is the Messiah. That word Messiah means anointed one. It's the one, it's the Savior that God's people were looking for to bring salvation to them and judgment to their enemies. That's what they were expecting coming out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And then, like I said, on Christmas Day, we looked at John the Baptist and his ministry. And what John was doing was getting people ready for the arrival of the king. Every time I say that, I think about the old uh, Robin Hood movie from Disney, uh, the animated version where Robin Hood is a fox. And who's, who's seen that? Okay. If you haven't seen it, show it to your kids. Disney Plus has it. It's good stuff. All right? So... I think about that movie, uh, whenever Prince John is coming on the scene, there are these big fat hippos, uh, and they have trumpets, they have horns that they blow to announce the coming of Prince John, right, that Prince John is, is, is coming. Well, that's John's job. He is a herald, he is a royal herald, he is announcing the arrival of the king. And what he does to do that is he begins baptizing people, calling people to repent, to turn from their sin, and to be cleansed, to be washed. And so that's what John is doing. And then we see Jesus arrive. He comes to John. He comes to where John is at the Jordan, and he does something very unexpected. He wants to be baptized by John, which is odd Because Jesus doesn't need cleansing. Jesus doesn't need repentance. He's the Messiah. He's the king that the people have been preparing for. And now he comes and he says, I'm here to be baptized. And so here's what I think we can learn about Jesus from his baptism. You see it on the screen. Jesus is, here's what we find out in this passage. Jesus is the son of God and the suffering servant. And he identifies with his sinful people. That's what's happening right here in Jesus' baptism. We learn his identity, but we also learn what he's come to do. And we're actually going to look at those in reverse. First, we're going to talk about what Jesus has come to do. He identifies with sinful people. And then we're going to look at his identity under point number two. So first, what do we mean that Jesus identifies with sinful people? 
Well, John's baptism, John's washing, and that's what it is, uh, symbolizes a need for cleansing. The need for spiritual cleansing. And so if you were baptized by John, if you and I were living in that day and we came to John at the Jordan and we wanted to be baptized, what we would be admitting is, I'm dirty and I need to be clean. I I have a sin problem and I want it to be washed away. That's what we would be doing. That's what everybody was admitting when they came to John. But John said, a mightier one is coming. Somebody who has a better baptism than me. He will baptize you not with water, but with Holy Spirit and fire, right? I can only wash the outside of your body. The one who is coming, he actually will clean you from the inside out. And so as John is doing this, then Jesus arrives and he shows up to be baptized. And look at what John says there in verse 14. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Now, why does he say that? Well, because Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need cleansing. Somehow, John is aware, or becomes aware, and we don't know how, somehow John becomes aware that the man standing in front of him, who is also his cousin, Jesus, is, is the one who is to come. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This situation needs to be reversed. You need to be standing in my place, and I need to be standing in your place. I, you, you need to be baptizing me. I don't need to be baptizing you. And I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't disagree. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 I, I need repentance too. I need cleansing too. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, no, let's go ahead and do this so that we can fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that? And there's a couple of answers to that question. Uh, The first has its background in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, when a priest was beginning his service, they usually began their service at the age of 30, and to be set apart for that service, they had to go, they had to undergo a washing. They had to be baptized. Now, let me take another step. Let's, let's take a step further back than that. What does a priest do? What is the job of a priest? See, here was the problem that Israel had, and it's the same problem that you and I have today. Uh, they have a holy God who wants to dwell with his people. The problem is his people are sinful. And holiness and sin, they don't jihaw, right? Uh, Holiness wipes out sin. It's kind of like if you were to jump on a space shuttle uh, and head for the sun because you wanted to enjoy its warmth and light. The sun is good, right? It gives warmth and light. But the closer you get, the more dangerous it becomes, right? Sunlight unfiltered. Is, can destroy you. And so, what did God do in the Old Testament to, to alleviate that problem of a holy God living with a sinful people? He set up a system. A system of sacrifices and rituals by which his people could approach him. And the people who were in charge of that system were priests. They were the, they were the stand-ins. They were the go-betweens. The, the fancy word for that is mediator. 
They mediated between a holy God and sinful people. And it was those priests who at the age of 30, when they began that ministry, would undergo a baptism. So what is Jesus doing? He's identifying as a priest. He's identifying as one who will mediate between God and man. But there's more. This priest is different. We're going to come to find out in the book of Hebrews will tell us that Jesus is the priest to end all priests. There will be no more priest after Jesus. Here's why. Every other priest before Jesus, he had to not only offer sacrifices for you, but he also had to offer sacrifices for himself because he was just a man. He was sinful just like everyone else. But now, here we have a priest who is sinless. And the astonishing thing about this priest is that he's not only the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. Jesus doesn't offer a lamb. Jesus offers himself. That's what's happening here in this baptism. Jesus is identifying With the people he came to save. He doesn't need repentance. He doesn't need to be forgiven. But we do. And here's Jesus putting himself in our place. That's exactly what happens in a sacrifice. And again, if we were to go back to the Old Testament, uh, you were coming to the temple, you were coming to the priest, you would bring your sacrifice. And what would happen is you would put your hand on the animal's head. And the symbolism of that is that you are transferring your guilt to the animal. And that animal was then slaughtered and burned on the altar, right? To show that your sin given to that animal is then dealt with before God. And what do you receive as a result? Forgiveness, right? So someone, it's, we talk about forgiveness sometimes as if, you know, whatever's forgiven just disappears into thin air. But it doesn't. Someone must pay the debt. Someone must pay the price of sin. And in the Old Testament system, right, that was symbolized in the giving of your sin to an animal. Well, now here comes Jesus. And he is putting himself in the place of the sacrifice. Right? Our sin is transferred to him. And he carries it to the cross where it is burned up by God's holy wrath. Right. That's what Jesus is beginning. That's what Jesus is hinting at here. Uh, We read it earlier in Second Corinthians 521. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, 12. This is written several hundred years before Jesus prophesying about the suffering servant. Isaiah says he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Why does Jesus submit to be baptized? Not because he needs spiritual cleansing, but to identify with those that do. That's what's going on here. Jesus identifies with sinful people. But then we also see that as soon as he does this, he's also confirmed and commissioned for ministry. As Jesus comes out of uh, up out of the river, 
Did you notice who shows up for his baptism? The whole Trinity is present. Right? This is also, this is just kind of as a side note, this, some, some theology for you. Uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, there was a heresy that said there's not real, that there was a, a false teaching that said there's not a Trinity. We just have one God, but he shifts into different modes based on the moment. Well, this passage right here disproves that. You have all three persons of God present at once. The Son, the Spirit, and the Father are all present simultaneously at Jesus' baptism. Every person of the Trinity. And what are they doing? The Son, in being baptized, shows his willingness to do his ministry. And we just talked about this. But something that I want you to see here is Jesus' humility. John is right. He and Jesus should switch places. Jesus needs to be the one up front. But Jesus is not that kind of king. Jesus is a humble king. Jesus knows that the road to glory is not uphill, but down. To my young friends, to to our children and teenagers... As you make your way through life, you will see that the the people who are often favored, the people who often get ahead, are the strong, the attractive, those who push themselves forward, often at the expense of others, those who make much of themselves. You see it already, right? As As a culture, we often flatter and fawn over those who make much of themselves. That is not the way of Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 2 that he wants his church to have the mindset of Jesus. What is Jesus' mindset? That he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And making himself nothing, he humbled himself uh, to take on human form. And then he humbled himself even further to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the fairest of 10,000. And how does he use his life? He gives it away so that others can have life. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of our humble king. We give ourselves, if, if in following him, what that looks like is that we give ourselves away so that others may have life. May we... Mirror by God's grace, Jesus' humility. The Spirit also is there. And what we see is that the Spirit, verse 16, uh, comes down and rests on Jesus like a dove. We're not really sure what all that symbolism means. It's not particularly important. Uh, what's more important is the fact that what ha- what's happening is that Jesus is being empowered for his ministry by the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus now is a man. He hasn't given up his deity, but he has taken on, right? He has taken on uh, humanity. And as a human, as a man, he must be empowered for his ministry by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is weak. Jesus is dependent. He needs the Spirit to perform 
his ministry, to accomplish his ministry. We're going to see next week in Jesus' temptation that it's the Spirit who leads him into the wilderness. Jesus accomplishes his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus needs the Spirit, if Jesus needed the Spirit, how much more do we? We are can-do people. Right? We, we love to get things done. We love to, well, I won't say we. I love to boast of my own strength. Right? We believe that if we have, man, if we just have the right resources, the right money, the right connections, the right talent, the right gifts, we can, we can get some things done. And what we need to hear is that nothing of spiritual benefit will happen apart from the Spirit. It's not, it's not about what we have. It's the, the, the resource that we need the most is the Spirit Himself. Apart from the Spirit, nothing of benefit, nothing of eternal value will happen. The Spirit empowers Jesus and the Spirit empowers us for ministry. That's, that's why here in a little bit, we're going to pray. We're going to pray as a congregation, as a group. Because we need the Spirit to work. And the way that we connect with the Spirit is through prayer. That's what prayer is. The Spirit empowers Jesus and us for ministry. And then finally we see, we've seen the Son, we've seen the Spirit, and then we hear from the Father. Look at verse 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God tells us exactly who Jesus is and what he thinks of him. With echoes of Psalm 2, verse 7, where it says, This is my Son, today I have begotten you. The Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son. And then from Isaiah 42, 1, he says, where it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I delight, in whom I am well pleased. The Son is the apple of his Father's eye. Jesus is unique. He is, he is the dearly beloved Son of the Father. There is no one else like Him. We cannot fathom the depth of love between the Father and the Son that has existed from all eternity. It is the deep well from which, from which any fatherly, earthly fatherly affection for sons comes from. But we cannot, we cannot even fathom how deep that well goes. The Father loves the Son he is delighted in the Son. I love that word. What, what, do you, what do you think of when you hear the word delight? That's how the Father describes the Son. I delight in Him. Why is that important? Why does that matter? Because as we work our way through Matthew's Gospel in the weeks to come, we're going to see how the Son is viewed by those around Him. We're going to see how He's treated. We're going to see how he's mocked and shamed and ignored. We'll eventually see him beaten, lied about, cursed, tortured, 
and killed in probably one of the most gruesome ways imaginable. And as we see those things happening, I want you to remember what drives the sun. I want you to remember what compels the sun to embrace such hostility against himself. It is his father's delight. It is the fact that he is beloved of the father and his father delights in him. And he delights to do his father's will. And here's the really good news. If you believe in Jesus, if you have trusted in him, you are united to him. And that means that the father's delight in Jesus is yours. That you hear, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And when you hear that, what is impossible? If you know that you have the approval of the creator and sustainer of all the world, seen and unseen, you have his approval, you have his delight, nothing is impossible. If you are in Christ, you have God as your father. And all of the benefits that Jesus deserves, he gives to you. But if you reject the Son, if you try to make it to God on your own, or if you are apathetic to him, if you could care less about the Son, then I want you to hear how Psalm 2 closes. This is Psalm 2, verse 12. He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. My hope as we go through the gospel of Matthew and as we see the person of Jesus is that you would take refuge in Jesus the son. He has humbly taken your place so that you can receive his father's favor. Will you embrace him as your own this morning? Amen. As we go to the Lord in prayer uh, for these opening weeks of 2023, we're going to be praying our way through what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Our focus in doing this, of course, is revival. That God would do a new work. That God would do a new work in us, in our church, in our community. And so we're going to begin by praying, uh, or f- focusing on Matthew 6, verse 9, where Jesus tells us to pray that God would hallow his name. Now, that's an old-fashioned word. Uh, it's not a word we use much, but it means this, that God would bring honor to his name. That God's name would be revered, would be honored. Another way to say that is that God would be glorified. So as I pray this morning, there are going to be some times where I pause and give you an opportunity to pray in silence through what I'm praying. And I'll indicate that as we pray together. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, 
Oh, Lord, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to come and to identify yourself with us. It is not what you deserve, but it is what you chose to do for our good and for your glory. Lord, we thank you for bringing the Father's love and delight home to us. God, I pray that we would take refuge in the Son this morning. That we would embrace, Lord Jesus, what you have done on our behalf so that we could receive the righteousness of God. Father, our prayer this year, is that you would hallow your name. That your name would be honored, would be revered as holy. That your name would be glorified. Your name is you. That you, Lord, would be glorified. God, we pray that you would glorify yourself first in our hearts, in our individual lives. Right now, Lord, we pray that you would give us a willingness to glorify you with our lives and not ourselves. Father, we also pray that you would glorify your name in our families. When we think through each member of our families and we pray right now, those that know you and those that don't, God, that they would hallow your name. Father, we pray this for us as a church, that this would be our chief, our burning desire to see you glorified. We pray that for the churches around us in our community. Those who proclaim the good news of Jesus. That they too would seek your glory. Lord, that we would do all that we can by your spirit. To glorify your name in Clanton. In Chilton County. And beyond. Father, we pray for our nation. Would you hallow your name in the United States of America? Lord, we pray for leaders who would do so. Who would bow the knee knee to Jesus and seek to glorify your name. Lord, and we pray for the entire world. That as the good news goes out from every corner to every corner... That as the name of Jesus is proclaimed to every tribe and language and nation. Lord, that you, as Psalm 138 says, that you would exalt your name and your word above all things. That you would be glorified. May that be true of us this year. Father, 
as we think about the needs in our church, uh, we think particularly about our different ministries that will be beginning next week. Lord, we pray that you would bless those, that as your word is taught, that as we hear, that as we are equipped for ministry, that you again would be glorified. We pray for our teachers, for our, small, for our host homes, for our small groups, for our small group leaders. Lord, thank you for uh, the service of these servants. Thank you for those who are giving of their time to invest in our youth and in our children. God, would you glorify yourself in these things. Father, we pray for the youth retreat upcoming this weekend. Would you glorify your name? I pray that for each one of the students and adults who is going, that you would incline their hearts to you. Whatever motive they may have in going on this trip, God, I pray that you would work through the power of your word and spirit and that you would draw these students to yourself. Father, and as our elders and deacons meet today uh, for our regular meeting after worship, would you be glorified? Would you give us wisdom as we care for your church? Would you lead us? Would you glorify your name in our midst today? Lord, we pray all of these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.